Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu, Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Adorachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I praise you for this Shabbat, for this opportunity to gather together as Mishpacha, as family, to worship you. I pray, Lord, that your Shekhinah, your divine glory, will be upon this place and that you will speak to each and every one of us. Father, that you will pour out your heart upon us, that your words will flow mightily and powerfully in our midst. And Father, I pray that you will use me as a vessel for your purposes, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained for this message, and that you will speak through me, Lord, that it be your words heard, your voice received, and nothing else of me involved except that which you have already ordained. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen. All right, so this morning we are in Parshat Zav. comes from Leviticus 6, 1 through 8, uh, 36. Um, this is a lot of detail in this Parsha. First, last week we read about uh, the various types of sacrifices and offerings that would be made in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. Uh, now we're reading about some more of those offerings, the procedural factors with them, and then also at the end of the Parsha, towards the end of the Parsha, the consecration of the priesthood and how that's all going to happen. And then next week we actually read about the actual consecration of the priesthood. Now we know that some of these things in Leviticus are kind of over, overlapping things that have occurred already in, in Exodus. Uh, Time-wise, the Torah, as we see it from Exodus through Deuteronomy, isn't necessary, necessarily all chronological. Sometimes some of these things, especially between Exodus and Leviticus, kind of overlap each other a little bit uh, time-wise. So here we see what is working toward the consecration of the priesthood. At the end of Exodus, we see the consecration and the divine anointing of the tabernacle of the Mishkan. Uh, and then this week we're reading uh, towards the actual consecration of the priesthood and them getting ready to serve in the tabernacle and later in the temple in the order of Aharon and the order of Aaron as the high priest of Israel and the various functions they will serve as intermediaries between Israel and Adonai. So this week we're in Leviticus chapter 6, beginning with verse 1 uh, in Parsha Zav at the very beginning of the Parsha. If you'll open up to Leviticus 6.1. Says Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the Torah of the burnt offering. The burnt offering should remain on the hearth atop the altar all night until the morning. While the fire of the altar is kept burning on it, the Kohen is to put on his linen garment, uh, with his linen undergarments on his body, he is to remove the fat ashes from where the fire has consumed the burnt offering in the, on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he is to take off the garments, put on other ones, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar is to be kept burning on it. It must not go out. Each morning, the Kohen is to burn wood on the altar, lay the, burning, uh, the burnt offering in order upon it and burn uh, and burning up as smoke the fat of the fellowship offerings. The fire is to be kept burning on the altar continually. It must not go out. Now this is really interesting here as we move through this because we see a couple of different things happening. First and foremost, we see that it says that the offering placed upon the altar uh, throughout the day is just to continue to sit there and to burn all night long. 
And then the next morning, the priest comes in, and he's got to go in with his special linen garments, his priestly garments. Uh, he goes in and uh, begins his service in the morning by taking the shovel and scooping out the ashes that are left in the, the altar and removing them so it doesn't snuff out the fire, uh, as well as to keep the altar uh, somewhat clean. Uh, when you're splashing blood all over it all the time, you're not going to keep it perfectly clean, but you've got to keep it somewhat clean. And so they, uh, he's got to remove these ashes. And it's really interesting because it, it reminds me a lot of Yom Kippur in, in some facets because on Yom Kippur, you know, the, the passage in Leviticus tells us on Yom Kippur that the high priest actually went, and we often think he goes in once, but he actually went in the Holy of Holies at least five times every Yom Kippur, every year. Uh, and every time that he went in, he would go and he would take off his regular priestly garments he would go through a, uh, a mikvah, an immersion, uh, in essence, a baptism. He'd come out, he'd put on fresh, clean garments, special garments to be able to go into the Holy of Holies. He would go into the Holy of Holies, he'd do a spill in there, and he'd come back out, and he'd go back over, he'd take off the special garments for the Holy of Holies. He would go through a mikvah again. He would come out, he'd put on his regular priestly garments, he'd go out and do the next thing, he'd come back. When it was time to go in again, and he'd do this all over again, he'd derobe, he'd take a mikvah, he'd come out, put on the fresh garments, the, the Holy of Holies priestly garments, go into the Holy of Holies, and he did this over and over again at least five times every Yom Kippur. And so here this Parsha, it kind of reminds me to some degree of that, although he's not going into the Holy of Holies, but there's this notion of there being something holy above and beyond about the dealing with the ashes and how everything's supposed to happen. And so as he goes to scoop the ashes out every morning, he's actually got to uh, put on his special linen garments, the priestly garments. He goes in, he scoops out the ashes, he throws them beside the altar in a nice neat little pile. Once they're out of the altar, the altar itself is holy. Once they're out of the altar, then he goes and he puts on regular street clothes, if you would. I don't know that they necessarily had street clothes like we think of it now, but he puts on regular street clothes. And then he goes and takes the, the ashes and picks them back up again on the shovel and he goes out to a designated place and he throws the ashes out in this designated place uh, so that they are removed from the altar and they're kept separate and holy. Uh, and so we see that there's this, this notion of there's a holy and there's a secular, there's a consecrated and there's an ordinary. Uh, and even in something as simple as the removal of the ashes out of the altar, there's a necessity for us to keep that order and process and in mind. And the priest was very much aware and alert of this. But what really strikes me is the most interesting thing about this Parsha uh, is verse 5 through 6. It says, The fire on the altar is to be kept burning on it. It must not go out. Each morning the Kohen is to burn wood on it, laying the burnt offering in order upon it, and burning up as, uh, as smoke the fat of the fellowship offerings. Fire is to be kept burning on the altar continually. It must not go out. The sages tell us that even when Israel was traveling, because notice he says the fire must never go out. He doesn't say it must never go out as long as the altar is in the built tabernacle. The sages tell us that as Israel traveled their journey through the wilderness, that the fire remained burning on the altar as the Levites were carrying the altar. Could you imagine? The fire remained burning on the altar as they carried it. As a matter of fact, there was a special covering that the Torah tells us when they're carrying the, the, the altar. It had to be covered with a special purple garment that was draped over it. And, uh, and the sages say that it was a miracle of God, and there's countless miracles attested to the tabernacle itself, but they said it was a miracle of, of the divine hand of God that even while it was covered, that the fire never went out and the covering itself never burned up, but that the fire was constantly burning even while they were traveling in their journeys. And so it was we look at this and, and we've got to start to ask ourselves questions. Like the primary question is, why is it so necessary for that fire to never go out? 
how hard could it really be to go and kindle a new fire? I can understand not letting it go out you know, Friday afternoon before Shabbat because we can't kindle a new fire on Shabbat. I can understand that. But why was it so important that the fire never went out? Because it really can't look. I've got a grill. I light my grill up every so often. I know it's really not that difficult to get a fire burning. So why was it so important to the Lord that Israel, and in particular the priesthood, never let this fire go out? We go forward to Leviticus 9, verse 23, to find out the answer to that question. Leviticus 9, verse 23, this is right, uh, right after uh, or right in the midst of the, the consecration of the priesthood. Uh, verse 23 of Leviticus 9 says, Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came back out uh, and blessed the people, the glory of Adonai appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of Adonai and devoured the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their face. So the reason it was so important that Israel not let this fire go out was because this fire directly came from the Lord. And in particular, the Hebrew in this, this passage, verse 24, where it says, fire came out from the presence of Adonai. The Hebrew in this passage actually says, Eish Adonai, literally, fire from the face of Adonai. Not just the fire, you know, the Lord pointed his finger and fire came out his finger and ignited the altar or anything weird like that. No, it says the fire came from the face of Adonai. Uh, in verse 2 of the same chapter, the phrase says, offer it before Adonai. Uh, and, and the Hebrew there is Vayichrav Livnei Adonai, which literally translates to approach the face of Adonai. So when the priests were commanded to make the offering on the fire of the altar in the tabernacle, they were commanded in that process to approach the face of Adonai, to approach the face of God, that fire. And when we look at Mount Sinai and the fire upon Mount Sinai, it says, the glory of the Lord descended on the mountain in fire. We look in uh, Exodus at the burning bush, and Moses saw the Shekhinah, the divine glory, the presence of the Lord on the burning bush, and it was in the fire that he saw it. We see the fire of God fall on the temple when it was completed in Chronicles uh, chapter 7, 1 Chronicles chapter, or sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. We see the fire fall. The end of Exodus, we see the fire fall. And there's this image here of the presence of the Lord, the face of the Lord, and the fire of God. And so it was so important that the priest never let the fire to go out because this fire wasn't just ordinary fire. It wasn't, you remember we talked about holy versus uh, common, uh, ordinary versus common, or I'm sorry, holy versus ordinary. This fire wasn't just common, ordinary fire. It wasn't just Joe Schmo started a bonfire or a campfire in their backyard. This was literally the fire of the presence of the Lord. This was the face of God that ignited the offering on the altar. And the priests were commanded to stoke that fire over and over and over again, day in and day out, to make sure that that fire, the face of the Lord, never went out among his people. And so we go back to uh, chapter 5 again, the beginning of this Parsha, and we look at a couple of really uh, interesting things in particular uh, dealing with uh, um, Leviticus, uh, as we said, Leviticus 9.23, the fire falling, uh, the verse 5, where it talks about how it should never go out, the Mayanash Shel Torah, which is a commentary, uh, says it shall never go out also, not during the journeys. Uh, there was special care that must be taken during the journeys of Israel, the time when a person ventures away from the home environment that fosters his character and integrity so that the fire in his soul should not succumb to alien influences. And so we see uh, this 
rabbi is making this connection of the fire here on the altar, this divine fire on the altar, and the fire that burns within the soul of the individual. And that fire that burns within our soul comes directly from the Lord. Interestingly about fire in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, the definition of fire, the first definition is A, the phenomenon of combustion manifested in light, flame, and heat. And B, so you've got definition 1A about the actual combustion, and definition 1B is a burning passion. A burning passion. And it says that like the young lovers with their hearts full of fire. So I want you to let this sink in for a moment because we're going somewhere here. Notice the high priest had to continually stoke the fire. If you're the priest of Adonai, you're not doing this just because you have to. You want to. If you don't want to, you end up like what we read in Jeremiah where the Lord says, I didn't ask for any of this garbage. Your hearts weren't in the right places. I asked for it to be done the right way. And just because you're doing it, as Lynn was saying after worship earlier, that we can read the Bible all day long. We can pray all day long. We can do all of these things and it's perfectly fine, but is there true intimacy? Is there really a true passion of fire for the Lord when we're doing these things? Are we stoking that fire in our hearts and our lives? And we've got to understand that what we're reading here about the altar and the, the fire from the face of the Lord that fell upon the altar, what we're reading here is actually a foreshadowing of what would happen in our own lives as believers in Messiah Yeshua. If we go to Acts chapter 2, and we, we talk about this passage a lot, and we're getting ready for Passover and later Shavuot uh, shortly thereafter. And it's important that we keep our minds focused on this and that we're constantly asking the Lord, meditating upon it, and asking the Lord to reveal to us his truth in this passage. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, When the day of Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and tongues like fire spreading out appeared to them and settled on each one of them. They were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Ruach enabled them to speak. And again, we see this image of the fire of the Lord. This time it wasn't upon a mountain. It wasn't upon the burning bush. It wasn't upon the, the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies on the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle or in the temple. This time it was upon the heads of the followers, the believers, the disciples of Messiah Yeshua. It was upon those who gave their lives to the Lord and trusted in His salvation to be able to redeem and restore them to our Father in heaven. And so now the Spirit of God is poured out upon them. And in a very literal sense, as we read in Leviticus 9.24, the fire of the face of the Lord and how the priest and, uh, and the early part of Leviticus 9 were commanded to bring the offering before the face of the Lord on that fire on the altar. Here the face of the Lord, this image of fire now descends upon the believers, upon the body of Messiah. This fire is miraculously and divinely placed upon our hearts and our lives. Paul talks about how we're to be a living sacrifice, right? We go to Romans 12, chapter 1. I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Do not be conformed to this this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
We're to be a living sacrifice. The sacrifice was placed upon the altar. The divine fire, the high priest continually stoked day in and day out, year after year after year. That is the image of what we are now as this all-consuming fire of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, is now a part of our lives. And we are called by the Lord, we are commanded by the Lord to allow our lives to be totally consumed as the offering on the altar was totally consumed. And I want you to understand, the high priest was commanded to go in every morning and remove the ashes from the fire. You know what those ashes were? Those were the ashes from the burnt offerings that were typically and primarily, not all, but primarily sin sacrifices that had to be burned up and the ashes had to be removed. And there had to be this cleansing order of the ashes being removed. And the same is true in our lives. If we are a living sacrifice, if we are the altar of the presence of the Lord and His face, that fire of His face is upon our lives as the Ruach HaKodesh is upon our lives, we have to continually look. We're going to sin. It's just all there is to it. We're human. We can't get around that one quite yet, right? We want to. As much as Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't do, I want to do. Things I don't do, I do do, not I want to do. You knew where I was going. And it's important that we understand that, that we're human, we're going to sin, and along with that, as much as we are a sacrifice, as much as we are part of the king's koanim, the, the priesthood of the Lord, as uh, Peter talks about in 1 Peter 2.9, as much as we're a part of all of this, and that fire of the Lord is upon us, and it is, it is igniting and burning, and it should be spreading. In Acts 2, it says it was like tongues of fire upon the heads of the believers, and it was spreading right? It doesn't say it landed on their heads and just kind of sat there like a little fire, like the emoji, uh, but it was spreading across the believers, and, and we recognize at the end, of, or towards the end of the chapter, that that same day, that same morning, that there were 3,000 added that were saved, and they were also filled with the fire of the Lord, of the Ruach HaKodesh, and daily there were those after that were being added to their numbers that were saved. And it's important to understand that that fire continued to spread and to spread, and we go to Acts 10, and Acts 10, at Cornelius's house, we see the exact same thing as Peter preaches the gospel to Cornelius's household. They all turn their lives to the Lord and the presence of the Lord, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, the fire from the face of God descends upon the, the household of Cornelius and they all are saved and they're all filled with the Ruach and it began to spread from there as well. That fire doesn't just sit, but it spreads. The fire of the anointing, of revival, it spreads, it moves, it continues to grow among the people of God. Skipping down to verse 9 of Romans 12, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy, detesting what is evil, holding fast to the good. Be tenderly devoted to one another in brotherly love. Outdo one another in giving honor. Do not be lagging in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Keep serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, enduring in distress, persisting in prayer, contributing to the needs of the Kedoshim of the Holy Ones, extending hospitality. Verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy, detesting what is evil and holding fast to the good. It talks about how we're still sinful. Even though we are bought by the blood of the Lamb, even though we are cleansed, even though we have the Ruach HaKodesh in our lives, we still fall short of the glory from time to time. And it is an important, it is absolutely important that we bring our hearts before the Lord in repentance, that we go through the act of remission of sin, and that those ashes of the burnt up offering of sin sacrifices removed from our lives, that we can start fresh again, day in and day out. This is a daily process. We must live and die and be reborn again daily in order to be able to walk fervently in the presence and the fire of the Lord. But notice he says, let love be without hypocrisy. 
you know, I've learned something over my short uh, uh, tenure as a, a living, breathing human being. I've learned that the only place we'll ever truly find hypo- hypocrites is the body of Messiah. Because outside the body of Messiah, outside the believing world, they're perfectly fine with who they are. They don't have to be a hypocrite. They don't have to lie about it. They don't to, but in the body of Messiah, that's where we'll find hypocrites. As a matter of fact, I, uh, I love the old adage that says, uh, if you find the perfect congregation, leave because you're going to ruin it. The reality is we are all hypocrites because we talk about being redeemed, but we still fall short of the glory. But we must daily bring that offering before the face of the Lord on the altar. We must daily stoke that fire of the the, the presence of the Lord, the fire of the Ruach HaKodesh, the fire that is in our gut. We must steadily, daily, regularly, continually stoke that fire. And the thing that stokes that fire is intimacy. Remember that that. 1B, uh, definition of Merriam-Webster, dictionary of fire, is a passion between lovers. We are called to be part of the bride of Messiah. We're called to return to our first love. There is a passion that burns deep within us for our Lord, for our Messiah. There's a passion that burns deep within us, and it's not a passion that's natural to us. It is one that comes down from the face of God and ignites the offering on the altar of our heart. And we've got to stoke that fire. You know, my wife and I have been married for 16, going on 17 years. And I can tell you we're as much in love, if not more in love today, than we were the day we got married. But I can tell you that that comes with work. We've got to choose every morning not to kill each other, her more than me. And by her more than me, I don't mean I've got to choose not to kill her. She's got to choose every day not to kill me. We've got to choose every morning not to kill each other. We've got to choose every morning that we're going to love each other, that we're going to walk out this life together, that we are going to raise our children as one, that we are going to give all that we have to see the other better and uplifted and encouraged, that we're going to give all we have to be one in Messiah. Because that household, that marriage relationship, that marriage covenant, it is an image, it is a precursor of what we as the body of Messiah are to the Lord. Yeshua has called us to be his bride. And in order for us to be in, in true, intimate, covenant relationship with our groom, our heavenly groom, we must continually be stoking that fire, that passion for the Lord, just as the high priest had to continually stoke the fire on the altar. Verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 12 says, For you have not come to a mountain that can be torch, uh, touched and to a blazing fire uh, or, and to darkness and gloom and storm and to the blast of a shofar and a voice of whose words made those who heard it beg that not another word be spoken for, to them. This is speaking of Israel and Mount Sinai. It says, we've not come to the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai. We've not come to this fear-inspiring experience of the voice and the presence of the Lord. He says, for they could not hear, uh, they could not bear what was com- commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. So terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am quaking with fear. The same man that was in his presence, that has seen his presence, has gone in and out of the tent of meeting in his presence. The same man that ultimately walks out of the tent of meeting on a regular basis with his face radiantly glowing with the presence of the Lord upon him, was terrified and quaking in fear. Verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels in joyous gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn, who are written in the scroll in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous ones made perfect, and to Yeshua, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of something better 
than the blood of Abel. And we skip to verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. Through this we may offer worship in a manner pleasing to God and rev with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You got to understand, we often cry out to the Lord, Father, I wish you were close to me. I wish I was closer to you. But as believers in Messiah, the truth of the matter is his Ruach HaKodesh is upon us. The image of that Ruach throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation has always been the image of fire. The presence of God has always been the image of fire. And as we saw in Leviticus 9.24, that fire comes from the face of the Lord. And we are commanded to approach the face of the Lord daily with our offering. We are commanded to stoke that fire and yes, it does involve being in the Word day in and day out. How else are we going to listen and hear, hear and heed the voice of the Lord if we don't recognize it? You've got to understand that the Lord speaks to us in a still small voice. He speaks to us in inclinations upon our heart and our spirits. He speaks to us in audible form. But the primary way He speaks to us is through His Word. Because He's already said everything that we need to know. We just need to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive and to listen from, for Him. We say it every week in our Torah service that we believe that we serve a God who is alive and well and who speaks to us as much today as he ever has in the history of creation and that one of the primary ways he speaks to us is through his word and each and every time we open the word of God we should be expecting to hear the audible voice of the Lord come forth from his word. You want to hear the voice of the Lord? You tell me that you don't hear the Lord and you want to hear Him more in your life or you wish you could hear His voice? Open His Word. Train your heart so that when you hear that audible voice, the still small voice, the inclination on your spirit, you will be aware and alert of what it is. Just like with Rosh Hashanah, we're commanded to hear the sound of the shofar. It's a preparation. It's a rehearsal. It's a, an audition, if you would, for what is to come. If we don't know what that sound sounds like of the shofar blast, how are we going to know what we're hearing when the heavenly one finally blows? Are we going to be chasing down trains and looking for tornadoes? Or are we going to be recognizing that this is a heavenly shofar blast as promised and prophesied in Scripture and our Messiah's return is imminent? You want to talk about a prayer life? We've got to be on our faces daily before the Lord. You know, P uh, Moses, his primary prayer was interceding for Israel, was interceding for other people. We don't have to intercede on our own behalf. The Lord's already done that. But we need to be interceding for other people. Every once in a while, we should probably say a good thing about ourselves too, hoping for the best, right? Because we're bound to mess something up along the way. But we should be interceding for other people. How much time do we spend in prayer asking the Lord for stuff for our own lives versus how much do we spend focusing on others? How much do we spend uplifting others? How often do we come to services hoping to get fed while never feeding into others? How often do we come to worship looking for what we can get as opposed to recognizing that worship isn't about what we can get, it's about what we give to God. Worship is a sacrifice. Our lives as believers should be a living sacrifice. The reason why living is because we make the sacrifice while we're still breathing the breath of life in our lungs. And without that breath of life and the Ruach HaKodesh and the fire that burns within, we're living it worthlessly. I don't believe the presence of God will leave us just because we fall short of the glory of God, but I do believe that we better return to His presence in fullness rapidly. Because how many lives are we missing out on impacting and touching for the good news of Mashiach? 
for the good news of Messiah Yeshua when we're falling short? How many lives for Messiah are we actually hindering finding Messiah because of the hypocrisy they see in our lives? You've heard me talk about it before. We are in a post-truth era. That means that nobody around us believes that there's anything uh, such as finite truth. That what's truth to me may not be truth to somebody else. You know what? I believe there's only one truth. It's found right here. But the reality is, is the world around us, we can preach that all day long. We can talk about it all day long. We can do apologetics all day long. We can defend our faith through and through, and we can quote scripture like it's nobody's business. But the world around us doesn't believe it's true. You know why they don't believe it's true? Because more often than not, they don't see the truth of those words in our lives. They don't see the fire of God burning within us. You know what turns lives to the presence of the Lord? The presence of God in our lives. When we go back to Acts 2, one of the things that I love to talk about is the end of Acts 2 versus the end of Acts 1. There really wasn't a big difference between what the disciples did at the end of Acts 1 and the end of Acts 2. They prayed together, they ate together, they studied together, they taught together, they went to the temple together, they worshiped together. The end of Acts 1 and Acts 2, exact same thing. They did the same thing. They didn't change anything. The end of Acts 1, they elevated or promoted one of their own. The end of Acts 2, thousands were added. And daily there were more being added that were saved. You know what the difference was? It wasn't the message Peter preached because it wasn't any different than anything that had been said before that. Heck, he quoted the prophets over and over again. It had long been said. The difference was that the power and the presence of God was in their midst and in their lives. And that's what happens when we stoke the fire. When we recognize that our lives are a living sacrifice that is placed upon the altar of the heavenly tabernacle. And that that fire that, that comes from the face of the Lord, that that fire must be continually stoked. We should never let it go out. I think there's some, some connection there when Yeshua talks about not hiding a candle under a bush. We cannot hide the fire of God and be effective in this world around us. We are called to go, therefore, and make Tamadim disciples of all men, of all nations, immersing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. We cannot do that if we don't walk in the immersion of the Spirit. Can't do it. That fire of God has to burn continually, and we have to stoke it through prayer, through fasting, through being in the Word, through intimacy. None of those matter if we are not intimate with the Lord. Moses says Moses spoke to the Lord or the Lord spoke to Moses face to face like a man speaks to a man, not in hidden visions and dreams and things that had to be interpreted, but as a man speaks to a man face to face. And that's promised to be available to us. And the face of the Lord, the fire of the face of the Lord is a part of our lives, or at least it should be. And so we should also be able to hold on to the reality that the Lord speaks to you and I as a man speaks to a man, not in hidden dreams and visions. That's not to say he doesn't give us dreams and visions. But he wants to speak to you like a man speaks to a man face to face. He wants his fire to continually burn within your belly. He wants people to see his presence upon you as Israel and the nations around them saw the presence of the Lord on the mercy seat and the Holy of Holies leading Israel through the wilderness. He wants people to see the presence on you as we know not only Israel saw the presence of God on Mount Sinai. There's no way that that mountain burned and the cities near, near and around it didn't see the presence of the Lord. He wants that when we talk to people that we come into contact with on a day-in and day-out basis about the message of Messiah, that they approach us like Rahab did the spies and says, listen, we've long heard what the Lord's done for you and through you, and we've been afraid of it. So go ahead and tell me what I need to do to be a part of it. Rahab became a part of Israel because she heard 
what God did in Egypt and along the journey. She said Canaan had been afraid of Israel for 40 years. The nations God was going to dispossess because they were too far gone believed more in the promises that God spoke to Israel than Israel did. Let that sink in. It's the true same for you and I and the power of God in our lives. People better see his presence in our lives. We better stoke that fire. We better never let it go out. We better recognize that we are the king's kohanim. We are a priestly nation. And verse 5 of Leviticus 6 is very much a part of our reality in our lives as much as it was Aaron's. The fire on the altar is to be kept burning on it. It must not go out. Verse 6, fire is to be kept burning on the altar continually. It must not go out. Do not let your day-to-day lives get in the, in, in the way of what the Lord wants to do as his fire of his presence burns within you. Do not let your job overtake you in such a way that you can't focus on the presence of the Lord. Do not let your family life overtake you in such a way that you cannot focus on the presence of the Lord. Do not let family problems, work problems, anything going on in our lives overtake what the fire of the Lord wants to do in our lives. At our kids' co-op, uh, I've been doing the devotion every week for uh, the older kids, the, the teenagers, and we've been focusing on the reality of happiness as a believer. Uh, and I've been talking about both sides of the, of the discussion, that sometimes we just aren't happy, and sometimes we are. But the reality is, is that the world around us, more often than not, is turned off by believers when it comes to the message of Messiah because they see that we aren't what we say we should be. They see that believers are some of the most angry and vindictive and vicious people there are. It's just the bottom line. And the reason we are is because we are not stoking the fire of God in our lives like we're supposed to. And it's time that we change that. And that when we say those words, happier they who dwell in your presence, that we actually be happy to dwell in his presence if we're part of the they, the anonymous they. They've always got the right things to say. But we need to recognize that that fire must continually be stoked. And that that is our primary focus as a believer because that fire, that presence, that power of God in our lives, that is what's going to lead people to the Lord. People are going to want to follow his presence in our lives, not just our mouths. Amen? Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for breathing life into your word day in and day out, that it is a living entity. And that no matter how many times we read through the word of God, we will always hear from you and receive from you and be encouraged and uplifted by you or be corrected and convicted by you. Lord, I pray that you continue to strengthen our walk and our relationship with you, that, Father, you reinvigorate the divine fire of your face in our hearts and our lives. And that you make us more and more and more worthy of the fire of the Lord that is within us. Father, teach us to walk in your ways so that others may see your power and glory in our midst and come to know the truth of your saving grace. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen. Amen.